book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, copy of God's Word, uh, can you join me in Acts? We're going to be looking at chapter 18 here this evening. Acts chapter 18. Many of you guys have heard about the Corinthian church and all the issues that was going on in the Corinthian church. But today we're going to hear about how the Corinthian church was established here today in our test here today. So let me start off with Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because of Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greek. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but God on speaking, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Look at verse 12. But when Galileo, Galileo was proconsul Achaia, and Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo, Galileo said to the Jews, If it is, if it were a matter of worship, wrongdoing or of vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to yourselves. I refuse to be the judge of these things. Verse 16, and he drove them from the tribunal, and they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, and Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Let's stop there and ask the Lord to help us with this at the time uh, as we work through his word. Our Father God, as in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for bringing it back to your word. Lord, I pray that, Lord, all of our hearts, Lord, just be attentive to your word, that our hearts are open up to your word. Let your word, Lord, bring life to us right now. With so many things, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, is carrying right now, let, Lord, let your word, Lord, dwell in us richly. So, Lord, we ask you to help us through your word right now. So let me preach your word faithfully. Even in my weakness, Lord, in my um, shortcomings, Lord, 
Let that not in any way, Lord, take your people away, Lord, from your word. But Lord, let your word, Lord, go forward in power and let your people, Lord, grow forward in wisdom. Bless us at this time. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. I was uh, thinking about illustrations how to start the sermon off. So I had to call my sister Shay to help me out with this one. And um, I needed an actor for the illustration I want to use. And one actor we talked about was Michael B. Jordan. I asked him, why would it be Michael B. Jordan? Not everybody. And, uh, and so I wanted to be able to figure out the, the, the diversity within actors. For example, like a Michael B. Jordan, he played in the movie Black Panther as like a villain. Then he turned around and plays in a movie called Creed as the one that comes in with Train by Rocky. Another actor I thought about was Denzel Washington. One moment he planned as this officer uh, undercover and doing all types of work that's, that was illegal in a movie called Training Day. Then on the other side, he played a movie called John Q, trying to rescue and help a child. And also he played a movie as a coach, I think in Remember the Titans. And I noticed about all these actors, to be a successful actor, you have to be ready to take upon difficult roles. Some roles people might turn down. But for the most part, you look at the successful actors, they can be able to get a script and use any almost certain scripts and turn it around and make much of it. That made me think about the life of Paul, that throughout his ministry, we have heard him being at Pisidia, uh, Pisidia Antioch. He was there in uh, um, Iconium, um, Derby. All the places Paul has went, we have seen some diversity happen. We have seen some profess Christ and some persecuted those that profess Christ. It's like a back and forth ministry of Paul. And it makes me think about the actors as for them being equipped to be able to deal with these things. And family, I think that's up for us as well. For us to always be prepared of what comes our way as Christians that we gotta be ready. We got to be ready for those that's not going to be able to receive the gospel. They might mock us as we proclaim the gospel, but it might just be some that receive the gospel. A lot of times I see so many Christians get discouraged as they labor and labor in certain countries in this world. Even on the campus of UAPB, people have labored so well and they haven't saw the fruits of their labor. If you felt that way, you're not alone. Paul would go to a town and proclaim the gospel and it would be by one or two that follow him. So for us, family, that's part of the Christian ministry. People are going to reject it. Not everyone is going to receive the gospel. People are going to reject it. But one thing about it that we don't stop. We continue going forward because it might be one or two or three that respond to it. We see that here today in our test today. Today we are introduced now to the church in Corinth. Again, we already hear all these stories about Corinthian church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5, and all this stuff going on. And say, so I was baptized by this person, baptized by this person. And we hear about, you know, how you do with the gifts of the spirit and what does it mean to have love? All these things we hear. But now we're going to hear more about the foundation of this church. How did this church come to be? So we're going to do it in three points today. Paul worked as a tent maker, one through four, the oppositions in five through six, and encouragement in the ministry seven through 11, and God keeps his promise to those in ministry 12 through 17. 
I know Trey J liked the second point, the ops. He liked that point, um, ops. Well, he's asleep right now, but. Um, point number one. Paul worked as a tent maker. Paul leaves Athens. After explaining the bad news to them, KJ preached last week a how about different forms of apologetics. We heard about this bad news there. For them, Paul should let them know that for them, they have sinned against God. They need to repent. And we find that many believe and many didn't believe. So Paul leaves Athens. And Athens was a place with so many idols there. Paul leaves Athens and they go to Corinth. And Corinth is about from Palm Bluff to Little Rock. About 45 miles, 46 miles. So Palm Bluff to Little Rock is a distant, distant from Athens to Corinth. One person says this, Corinth was another major city of Paul's day. And it was last major place of witness in his second missionary journey. John starts surely right in saying this. It seems to have been Paul's deliberate policy to move purposefully from one strategic city center to the next. After proclaiming the gospel in the intellectual city of Athens, Paul moves 46 miles west to proclaim the good news and to the commercial in the immoral metropolis of Corinth. So Athens where the intellect, the scholars that was in Athens. Now he goes over here where all the commercial trades and a lot of businesses are at. So this guy that quotes it, he said it, Paul was strategic. Paul was hitting every different demographic that he could hit as he goes across, grows throughout his ministry. And Paul has seen rejections in many forms. And now he moved to another place where there would be more rejection. But in the midst of rejection, we will be seeing it soon that some will believe. But let me mention one more thing about where Paul is at again. I like to try to compare, and I always do this for, for me with geography. I like to try to compare Paul to the places in our day. And John stops, John Stott helps us to see this. How do we relate to Corinth and these places as in our day? He said it right. He said, Julius Caesar built a new Corinth after the Romans destroyed the old city. It was a large and most um, cosmopolitan city of Greece. John Stott said that while the population of Ephesus was over a half a million, Corinth numbered nearly 750,000. But others estimate the population a lot lower. Tim Keller helpfully says, Athens, if you want to think about it in our day, anybody ever been to Boston? So Athens, Greece, it was like Boston. A lot of the intellect. Okay? Then he goes on to say, that Corinth was like a more like a New York City, like a commercial center of the world. And he said Ephesus was like Los Angeles, a popular culture or cult center. And he said Rome was like Washington, D.C. It was like the political center. So Corinth was known for this industrial, plenty of financial opportunities there. We're gonna talk about that, but Paul took advantage of that for financial profit shortly. But Paul meets a Jew named Aquila. A lot of times you're reading this, I always think about Aquila being a woman when you think about the name, right? But Aquila was the husband and he was married to a woman named Priscilla. They came from Italy because of Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. The Jews was always instigating something. 
a lot of times they was in always doing something that would also cause the government to kind of kick them out or bring them in. It was just a back and forth journey with the Jews of this day. But Aquila was was a native from a North Asia, um, a place called Pontus. So you guys remember what, excuse me, what Pisidia Antioch is at. It was far north, above the mountains, uh, far north, I think close to the Black Sea, where we know what Pontus was at. Not sure when they responded to the gospel, but they will be believers here shortly, we're gonna learn about. But one person says this, this couple later commended by Paul as fellow workers in Christ Jesus, to whom all church of Gentiles are grateful from Romans 16, three to four. Apparently Priscilla was the more gifted of two. After this first mention, her name always occurred first when they're discussing, we're gonna learn about this at the end again. It seemed like women plays a major role in his second missionary journey of Paul. Paul is, is throwing at us all these women with Lois and Eunice, with uh, Lois and Eunice, with uh, being related to Timothy, and many others that we have talked about so far. Now we're going to hear about Priscilla. Her name is going to become before Ashley Aquila going forward after this first time is mentioned. And that's going to be in Acts 18 when Priscilla's name is mentioned first. She becomes this believer that stands out in a unique way. So women does play a major role in the Christian church. A lot of times we don't cherish our women. Women play a major role in the Christian church. Women has wisdom that men don't have in so many different ways. And I think we should cherish that better within the church. But what did they do for a living? Aquila and Priscilla could have possibly heard the gospel someplace, but we know they heard the gospel for sure by them working along with Paul at tent makers. Some Jewish teachers had students take trade while learning scriptures. Some, it was different types of Jewish leaders. Some would have those that study, that study, study under them to actually learn a trade as they go about it, to go about the ministry. Some Jews would actually be there just learning quoting scriptures all day and didn't have a trade. But with Paul, we see the diversity of his training that Paul worked and he studied God's word. And later we learn that Paul is going to work so it wouldn't be a burden to the church. So okay, it's okay for a person to, to get supported by the church, but it's also okay for brothers to work to not be a burden to the church. We're going to learn from Paul is that for Paul is going to raise up finances for himself so he won't have to be able to lean on the churches and take away what the churches are already bringing in. I think one thing that started out here at Christ Redeemer that helped out was for me to work. And for me, not the burden of the church, the burden is work here. And I think for all of us, many of us have, have served in different ways. I know Rod is singing and people have done so many things in the church to be able to serve so we won't have to expand and have to you know, use all the resources we have. People have said, let me know how we can do this to work to be able to meet the means of the church. We already seen these things happening already at Christ Redeemer. But Paul does the same thing in his day. He worked as a tent maker. And a tent maker will use various different types of things to be able to build tents. Some of y'all would think it would just be sticks, right, and cloth. Sometimes it would be, like I say, leather, goat hair, and many other things they would use to build these tents. So as Paul built tents, he would go into synagogues and to reason with them. He would reason with them. Same type of word that KJ used last week. As he would actually use certain forms of, of uh, uh, defenses of the, for the faith, to proclaim the gospel, 
Just like we heard about the Bereans earlier that wasn't too far from Ephesus, trying to persuade the Gentiles. But what's the results? Paul reasoning with them, what's gonna happen? Point number two, opposition five through six. Well, before we get into the result, Paul doesn't have to do Christian ministry alone. You remember in chapter 17, Silas and Timothy that was with Paul, you remember they stayed back with the Bereans. They stayed back with the Bereans and stayed in the word with the Bereans. But Paul was bringing distraction to them because they kept persecuting Paul. So Paul left the Bereans and went to Athens. But what happened was that Silas and Timothy, they stayed in the word, studying the word with the Bereans. But what did Paul do? When Paul got to Athens, he saw so much idolatry. And for him, he, he cried out and said, hey, he cried and said, hey, tell Silas and Timothy to come here quickly. We need, we need help on the ground here. But it seemed like they didn't make it in time to Athens. They meet them now in Corinth. And I always thought about like, you know, in this time they didn't have cell phones. So how did Silas and Timothy know that Paul went on, went to actual Corinth? I would think that Paul must have had some people that was on a mission field with him that kind of stayed back and kind of stayed back and, and communicated with other brothers that they met along the way and let them know that Paul went to the next town. He'd be waiting on them down the road at the next town. But they opposed him and they reviled him, Paul here, as he reasoned with them in the synagogue. Opposed is like this, they disagree with Paul, just like they opposed Jesus as Jesus preached in his ministry. And the same thing, what did Paul preach? Paul preached Jesus as being the Christ. And for them that they don't want to submit to the Christ, there's no way that Jesus is the Christ. Because Jesus is the Christ, why is the Roman government still in charge? If Jesus is truly the Christ, Jesus is going to defeat all kingdoms, the Messiah, the Mishiach, that everybody's waiting on. He's going to defeat all the kingdoms. But we see here that Rome is living, alive and well, and Rome is powerful. So a lot of them didn't accept that Jesus was the truly Christ. So what did they do? They became hostile to Paul. They didn't say that this Jesus cannot be the Christ, but we know that Jesus is the true Christ, that he came to reign in the hearts of the believers. Amen. He is reigning. But for them, they were looking for this certain earthly reign that can defeat all the kingdoms. But the thing about it, though, is that he was reigning on earth as the one, the suffering king that we talked about in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So what did they do when they rejected the gospel? Paul learned what he learned from Jesus. Paul shook his garment off. How would you shake your garment off? Is that be that? How would, would you shake your shoulders or something? Or um, it, it reminds me of when Jesus said, "How the dust they feed off and go to the next town." Paul wasn't about to stay and force the gospel on them. It was a judgment on them. He gave them the good news of life, and they rejected it. So he didn't stay there and force it on them. He dusted his feet off, or he shook off his garment. So he was done with proclaiming the gospel to them. Paul said, your blood be on your own hands, on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul said, your blood be on your own heads. The, the, the blood, or in a sense of that, everything's going to come from their sin. 
it's going to be on them. He has given them the truth. He have, and I don't think that Paul just, you know, how some people say, hey, let me show up and say the gospel. I said the gospel, that is on you. Paul was reasoning with them. He wasn't trying to quickly, you know, you got family members you might not like or sometime, whatever. You heard him say, well, I told them the gospel, I'm done with them. I think Paul was different. Paul was reasoning and talking to them and explaining and laboring over and over and over. And over time, as they opposed them and rejected the gospel, that's when he was ready to leave. And he leaves and goes to the Gentiles. I think this is so familiar with Jesus' ministry. Those hard-hearted Jews, those Pharisee Jews that Jesus went to and rejected him, Jesus spent most of the time in the Galilean area. The Galilean Jews, they were Jews, but they were considered the uh, Jew-Jew, right? As in Jerusalem, no area, those are the real full-blooded Judaizers there. So Jesus went there, and he, 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 he even dealt with, he was there with the Samaritans. He dealt with a lot of half-breed Jews. But also he went to the area to the Decapolis. The Decapolis had a lot of people that were kind of Gentile when he fed, I think, the 4,000, I think the 4,000, the second group. But we see as a common trend here is that these Jews that are so learned of the Old Testament, a lot of them just so hard to witness to. But I think it ties into the early morning sermon is that even though your heart was so hard, God's wisdom was already at work before they was even born. Before these hard, fair, cynical Jews was even born, God's wisdom was already at work that God was going to use their pride and their ungodliness for them. And even in jealousy in this, God used all of this we hear about from Romans 9, 11. Which one is it? Romans 9. God's going to use all this, even in their unbelief, to bring in the Gentiles. Amen. It was all God's wisdom in this. God knew that he was going to do in this. God knew that they was going to reject it, and that was God was going to bring in the Gentiles in this. And their rejecting of the gospel, because if Paul stayed there and kept begging them the gospel, and they rejected it, he begging them, begging them, they still rejecting it, how are the Gentiles going to be saved? So what does Paul do? Paul labored first. They was given the oracles of God first. Paul labored with them. Then they rejected it. Paul go to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles received it. And that's how you see all of Israel be saved. <laughs> so what happened here? Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door. Paul messed y'all on this one, ain't it? So the synagogue is right here. So Paul go across the street then. Okay. Y'all not going to accept me. He goes across the street and starts a church from the synagogue. So he called, Paul left the synagogue, went, door, uh, went to the door, a person next door to the person, Tidia Justice. Tidia Justice, another name for Tidia. Some people say Titus. And possibly a Gentile or a proselyte. We don't know. He would have been open to Gentiles coming to his house because we know what it just said is that Paul left the Jews to go to the Gentile. So this guy right here, Titius, had to be some type of Gentile or actually proselyte 
or he was sympathetic to Gentiles for Paul to go right next door to be with him. And what happened? The Lord quickly opened the door here. Family, we don't have to force the gospel on anybody. We don't have to force the gospel that people that work with us. We can also trust the Lord to open up those doors. One thing we can do is start doing, we can start praying. Asking the Lord to open up doors. Open up doors. I think a lot of times we're quickly wanting to talk, right? We want to quickly go share and share and share, and we're not depending on the Lord. And we burn ourselves out because we don't get the results we want. Family, what if we spend more time in prayer and asking the Lord to go before us? So family, continue praying and waiting on the Lord. The Lord to open up doors. And what we see here, the door open up for Paul here, that Paul now is able to labor here in Corinth. Point number three, encouragement in the ministry. Now at this point, we see some encouragement in the ministry. We just talked about all this without the hostility happened. Now we're going to see some encouragement. We see here Crispus. Crispus, though a Jew, one person would say, a ruler of a synagogue, he had a Latin name. Paul baptized him in 1 Corinthians 1, 14. Y'all remember that name? He was one of the one Paul baptized. It said Paul baptized him himself, perhaps because of his prominence, apparently letting Silas and Timothy baptize most of the converts from 1 Corinthians 1, 14 and 17. Paul didn't baptize that many people. But the possibility that Paul baptized Crispus because of his background. Probably he followed Paul into the house of Titius Justice, they would say. So Crispus is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. So Crispus probably left the synagogue because we learn in verse 17 that Sosthenes is the ruler of the synagogue. First it was Crispus. Now Crispus is not in the synagogue. So it seemed like the brother Crispus went across the street with Paul as well. They left the synagogue. And Crispus believed this is big. Alluded over the synagogue believing in Jesus in this area. This is good news. And normally a leader of the synagogue, they would be the most, they would be the one that had most of the wisdom within that synagogue. They'd be the smartest in the synagogue. They would be the one that proclaimed the word every Sabbath in the synagogue. And this one that had proclaimed the word Daily in the synagogue, he leaves the synagogue and he goes into this new church that's going to be established. This is big. This is big here. This is an encouragement for Paul. Knowing that in the midst of when he was persecuted, in that same synagogue he persecuted, the leader of the synagogue come over here and follow Paul. Christian fam, you never know who would get saved and sharing the gospel. But we must be faithful and let the Lord save people. Paul was thinking probably that he probably can save a couple people in the synagogue that, that wasn't the leaders. But something else happened here. As Paul became the gospel, the leader come to Christ. So it's okay, family, to walk away when people don't respond in faith. Because someone else might hear the gospel in the room and they might just follow after Jesus. So don't be discouraged when playing the gospel. For you guys at work, for you guys laboring every day, look for opportunity of the gospel. Don't get weary. That the Lord will open up doors. Just be faithful and just be ready for that opportunity. And also, Paul is encouraged by the Lord appearing to him. Look at verse 9 and 10 in this. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in the vision, do not be afraid, but go and speak, go on speaking and do not be silent. For I'm with you and no one would attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Family, we're not Paul. I hear some people say, well, the Lord told us not to be silent. I got to proclaim the truth. This is the Lord came to Paul. Sometimes we might need to be silent. If we need to get work done at work, we need to honor the Lord and get our job done. And so somebody would take this scripture and say, the Lord said, don't be afraid for me to speak and not be silent. And so I'm not going to get my work done at work. That's not what he's saying here. You got to get your job done. You got to honor the Lord and get your job done and honor him and then worry. But pray to the Lord for opening up doors on a lunch break or in time that, 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 that is granted to you to better know, um, to better hang out with someone, to share the gospel. Well, this is uniquely for Paul right here in this text. And we're going to learn why here shortly. So this is encouraging knowing that Paul doesn't have to fear. The Lord will protect him. This phrase, do not fear, is very common in the Old Testament. This is one of my favorite phrases in the whole Old Testament, New Testament. It is so often. We saw this in John, uh, John 14, as Jesus getting ready to, 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 ready to go to be crucified. He tells him right here, do not be afraid. The same word, do not fear. Same word, phobos. Where we get the word phobia from. It's the same thing here, do not be afraid. And we've been learning this also with Abraham. When God appeared to Abraham, do not be afraid. But also, you remember, and our kids, we're going through Exodus right now. And before they crossed the Red Sea, Pharaoh is coming with his chariots. They're coming fast. The Israelites are going around in circles. They're like, man, what is going on? Like, this is a shortcut. We can just go straight to Egypt, I mean Israel. But he got us going over to the Red Sea. He's going way over here and he's going around in circles. It's not making sense. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's coming with a chariot. You got the Red Sea. They blocked in. They don't have anywhere to go. And all of a sudden, Moses comes. The Lord comes to him and said, what? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. They're coming. What do you mean don't be afraid? I think this is common throughout the scriptures because all of us in this room, we are quick to get afraid. We are so easily to get afraid. We are so fearful. Family, we are so fragile. All of us. But the Lord tells Moses, tells Abraham, he tells Paul. This is the common trend the Lord tells his people to not be afraid. I think he tells us that because he is the one that holds things together. We don't have to be afraid because he is the one, right? Can carry all the burdens that may come our way. Let's know that we don't have to be afraid. The Lord always provides for Abraham and for Moses. Even in the midst of Abraham's son, Isaac, about to be eventually uh, Abraham, about to almost sacrifice his son. And the Lord comes again and rescues him. And that Red Sea, has not knowing where to go in that Red Sea, they can try to go around and try to make a stroke and go around. The Lord said, no, I'm taking you right through it. I'm taking you right through it. What? Right through it, I'm taking you. How in the world can you take me right through the sea? It's going to be dry land in a few minutes. And that's what our God did. And I, found, I think God is, doesn't change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. So family, he does this for us. 
He does it in a matter of time. We're fearful. He opened up more doors. I'm not trying to make this thing a prosperity gospel. Now I'm not trying to throw any things at me. But God does allow his people to prosper. We, we do prosper in, in a way, not in a, say, just in an earthly way. We do prosper as we conform more to his son. We do prosper. So it's nothing wrong for us taking those words back. As Christians, we prosper. He grows more into the image of his son. And how did you do it? He teaches us to depend on him. You can trust me. I will provide for you. Paul, even though they're coming at you and all these things are happening, do not be afraid. And the crazy thing about it is that why did God tell him this in this moment? I'm glad you asked. Our last point, point number four, is why the Lord told him this. Now we introduce in point number four. God keeps his promise to those in the ministry. Paul, I mean, but when Gallio was proconsul of Kia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Again, Galileo was a Roman proconsul governor of Achaia. And any judgment, one person says, pronounced by him would establish legal president. Furthermore, that Galileo was a brother of Seneca from 4 BC to AD 65, a philosopher of great influence in Rome. So Achaia was, a, it was expanded to include Attica, um, Euboea, and Athens. All of this area would be similar to Achaia, but also Corinth was like the leading city. So this guy right here was like over all the cities for the Roman emperor. So what the Jews do? Trying to be slick. They're trying to be slick here. So what if they do was they took Paul to him. The leader that was actually getting commands from the Roman emperor, they took Paul to him and said, hey, this Paul right here teaching contrary to the word. So the Jews thought they can use Galileo to get Paul to, to be put to death. Isn't it the same thing when they did to Jesus? They used the, the Jewish government there to try to bring all these allegations against Jesus. I mean, they used the Roman government. The Jews took Jesus before the Roman government and the Roman government washed their hand and said it's on y'all and tried to put it back on them. It's amazing though, is that when the Jews get themselves in their place, they're always using the Roman government for their benefit to persecute the church. So they did what they took Paul to him. And they said, this man persuading the people to worship God contrary to the law. But Galileo, which is Greek, was like, this is petty. This ain't got nothing to do with us. This is something to do with y'all. He was like, this is petty. This is a disagreement with y'all and Paul. So I'm not about to punish Paul for you guys' disagreements. This revealed God's faithfulness, isn't it? What did God just tell Paul? Do not be afraid. Nobody's going to put a finger on you. And that's what happened. The Lord protected him. Even going to one of the, the, uh, the, the, the assistants of the Roman emperor, they still can't get what they want to get from Paul, which is Paul put to death. God told Paul that he don't have to be afraid that no one would not attack you. No one would attack you. Found no one attacked Paul. God keeps his word. He protects Paul, but the persecution continues. Listen to verse 17. And they all seized Sothenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Sothenus, which replaced Christmas, was beat by the Jews in front of the Galileo. Why was Sothenus beat? 
I don't know. It could have been possibly that he wanted to follow after Christ or he was the one to get everything back in order in the synagogue. I don't know. But if they beat Sothenes in front of Galileo, why didn't they beat Paul in front of him? Did you hear that? If they beat Sothenes in front of Galileo, why didn't they do the same thing to Paul? And Galileo was right there in front of them. He could have told them to stop beating this guy. But he didn't. So they probably could have got a ray of beating Paul. But they couldn't. The Lord said you can't touch him. And they didn't touch him. This is the sovereignty of God. God did the same thing again with the Israelites. No matter how Pharaoh wanted them, God protected them. And Pharaoh could not get them. Get them. He couldn't touch him. Just like these Jews couldn't touch Paul. God keeps his promise. Family, are y'all getting the trend of all scriptures? You can read the Old Testament. You can read the New Testament. We see a whole book full of God keeping promises. This whole promise of Genesis 315 that one day the, the woman's going to crush the head of the serpent. All throughout scripture, this promise is going to happen. We're seeing this, this battle back and forth throughout the Old Testament. And a woman comes to crush the head of the serpent. Then, God, then, then Jesus, as he died on the cross, he raised up again in all power. Then, then, then he, he, he brings about this beautiful church. Is this going to be his bride? That is, that is his bride? I mean, all this promise that he's going to keep his people, all throughout the Old and New Testament is full of God keeping his promise. Family, God doesn't break his promise. He keeps his promise so we can trust our God. And y'all know that, and we all know that. But we got to be honest with this is that we know that God keeps his promises. But it's hard, though, right, to really embrace those promises when we're faced with trials every day, isn't it? One thing is about thinking about God's promises. But, one, but the other thing is about living out and hopeful of those promises when things are too hard to bear. One story of uh, for those that and all, all of us in here in that way, none of us is perfect. But one story of the Pilgrim Progress is a picture of this. Um, the Pilgrim Progress just showed this place, this Christian life. Man, it was a roller coaster. And I think that that's the the, the picture of this one Christian, the Pilgrim Progress. Man, that's that's thousands of Christians around, millions of Christians all around the world. This is all of our story. Family, we all a mess. We all up and down, right? We all a mess. But even in the midst of that, God still keeps his promise. He keeps his promise even when it's hard for us to trust that promise. But I say this right here, is that even when it's hard for you to trust that promise, what did he do? He give you a church like this to remind you of the promise. He give you ladies Bible study, men Bible study. You guys got test message group. Hearing all these encouraging things, even when you get weak and you can't remember the promise, it's so amazing when I hear y'all sisters calling each other, our brothers calling each other and building one another up, having lunch with each other. Family, when we can't remember God's promise, but it's hard to remember God's promise, it's amazing that God uses his church to point us back to his promise. And you might not see at times, like, man, this is, this is pretty cool, this and this. Family, this is the wisdom of God. That's why he died for a bride. He didn't die on a cross for one person. 
He died for a church to be a community. And that's why I always say is that you can't live a Christian life by yourself. Guys and men in the room, get some men and guys in your life that love you, that want to walk this out with you. You can't do this Christian life by yourself. You need some people in your life to encourage you in the ministry. Because Paul, look what Paul's life consists of. Paul was persecuting everywhere he going to win. And I can sit right and talk to a lady and hear her story. I'm pretty sure she have had people mock her recently. Same thing for Alexis and, and Tina and everyone in here have had some type of trial. Family, you can't do this life alone. We need each other more than what we think. So family, let us commit to each other. Let us commit to each other and remind each other of the promises. Because it's going to get difficult for all of us. It's going to be difficult. So let me end here in three application. Are you taking advantage of the body of Christ? Family, you need help. You need help. I need help. Family, we need each other in the body of Christ. Paul couldn't do it alone. That's why he called Timothy and he called Silas. Hey, y'all brother, come help me. Another thing Paul couldn't do it alone is that how would those churches established if he was doing it alone? Brothers were believing in Christ and churches was established. Paul wasn't by himself in this. There's many brothers coming along aiding him. So what do we need? We don't need a yes man or a yes woman. We need brothers and sisters in our lives to disagree with us and challenge us and build on one another up and encouraging us. I'm not talking about one that's trying to find something to disagree with you all the time with. Somebody that truly that loves you and that want to disagree with you. We need the wisdom from them. But also we need the wisdom from those that are going to encourage us. Sister, brother, you're doing a good job. You're doing an amazing job. We need a balance of both. So look at your friendship around your brothers and sisters in your life. If everyone is agreeing with you, expand that friendship. Expand it. Get some people in there that's going to challenge you to make you uncomfortable. Number two. Do you get discouraged when people reject and mock the gospel? Family, if that's you, don't let that get you down. Continue to be faithful. The Lord's going to build a church. All of those that the Lord is going to save is going to be saved. You don't have to hold your head down. Be faithful to the ministry. And somebody you might be praying for, they might come to Christ, they might not come to Christ. Family, that's outside your power. That's above your pay grade. You can't save nobody. You can pray for them. You can minister to them. But you can't save anybody. Don't lift your, don't put your head down. Dust your feet off and go to the next. And some will respond. And sometimes you might just be planting seeds for someone else to come along to minister the gospel to them. So if things doesn't work out as planned, don't look at it as failure. It's not a failure. And I would say this right here. Next time you feel like it's failure around you, write down three things. Write down three things that was encouraging in that conversation. Start doing that when you're feeling like somebody you've been praying for a minister to. Write down about three or four. It might be five. Just a couple of things. Write some things down that was encouraging in that moment. And the last thing, point three, God keeps his promise.
Remember that God keeps his word. And his word says he would never leave us or forsake us. There is no mistake in God doing trial. He uses them for our good and his good. So pause when you are quick to question God. Pause. And just wait on the Lord. Just pause. And seek the Lord. And think about how God has gave his promise throughout the scriptures. It's amazing that I possibly memorized a verse with somebody here. We haven't worked on it in a while, but uh, maybe we can catch back up on that. Memorize some scriptures. And then when trials get hard and you're so quick to question and doubt, quote those scriptures back to your heart. Quote God's word back to your heart. Cry out to God. Cry out to him. Those scriptures back to him. Even in David, even in the midst of his weakness, he cried out to the Lord. He cried out. He was vulnerable to the Lord. He asked him question, why is this? Why is this? And look what happened, though, is that he would quote other scriptures. One beautiful picture is Psalm 78. After this so doubtful Psalm in Psalm 77, and as he remembered the Lord, eventually, the brothers would start spinning bars. He started quoting all this Old Testament. There's something about God's word, quoting God's word back to our heart in trials. God used that to do miraculous works in our heart over time. It might not be instant for some. It might take time. But over time, God's word, it reminds us of the God of the Bible. It reminds us of what the God of the Bible has always done throughout scriptures over and over again. That's what scriptures does. It points us back to God. It lets us know his faithfulness. So quote scriptures back to your heart and remember that God has saved you. And I would say, family, trust them forevermore. That's it for this evening. The Lord's willing, we'll finish 18 next week. And um, I'm looking forward. I, I think I'm going to cover 19, 20, and 21 together. Um, I told a couple of people it might be like 21 points on that one. It won't be that long, short points, but it's going to see how discipleship can be taken away from those verses. But um, that's going to be a couple of weeks from now. So let me pray for us and uh, let's take the Lord's Supper and be able to um, enjoy the rest of our evening. Our Father, God, in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, to, for being able to to see your 